presenting to you an Ista World podcast. Again, I understand that we have a number of questions from disciples that they would like to be answered. So, if we can do the questions now. Yes, I've got quite a few around meditation itself, so I'll start okay. with those. Should all my questions be answered through meditation and not by asking my brothers and sisters? What should I do if I don't get support from my brothers and sisters? Well, we live a dual existence here. We live in the physical world as a participant, but we also want to understand what lies beyond the physical world. So where questions and answers arise in the physical world, it is perfectly normal unacceptable to ask somebody who's living in the world with you who may have an answer um, to ask them for that answer for example if they say to you you know how do you bake this cake and you get instruction from them why not there's no harm in that however if you are seeking something from beyond the physical realm which the truth lies within you the particular person you may be speaking to may not have that inner awareness so they may not be able to answer your question and may simply repeat like a parrot the phrases and, and stories they've heard from the books and from others. So from that point of view, from a spiritual point of view, you should seek those types of answers about the creation and anything beyond the physical from within yourself. But something about how the physical creation works and how to operate in it from a physical point of view, of course it's perfectly all right to ask somebody else who has knowledge of these things, so that you can live in the physical life as well. They're not contradictory, they're complementary. Thank you. What is the difference between practice meditation and real meditation? Do we waste most of our time doing practice meditation and not real meditation? Can we maintain real meditation in our practice? Well, you see, the idea of a practice meditation was given to us by certain masters um, in order for those who do not feel that they're able to meditate effectively to practice. Just like uh, before we can play a full tune um, in say on the violin, we practice maybe just one or two chords, one or two sessions to master the skill of that and then work our way slowly by adding them all up to learn the full tune. So practicing something is never bad, but it's not the same as the real thing because it is a practice and the accomplishments of a practice is not the same as having a real, as, as actually performing proper meditation. However, it doesn't mean that it's something that should be ignored. For some people who need to practice because they lack the ability to concentrate or to focus appropriately, then yes, why not practice? No harm in it. As the holy truth does not exist in the belief system that we are currently in, a part of, is this why the importance of meditation and direct inexperience so critical as it is unbiased and not just another idea? You see, the holy truth is the ultimate end or the ultimate origin of all things including the Lord itself. So therefore um, if you're going to attain the Lord itself 
the various religions and part do not mention about the holy truth because it is a concept idea beyond where you can attain so it's only been mentioned now to give completeness to the teachings of where did the lord itself come from how did it become manifest as the lord so its origins so we talk about the holy truth being isness or nothingness or the origin point from which even the Lord became manifested from the unmanifested state. So the holy truth is the source of all that is, all that was and all that ever will be, including the Lord itself. So we cannot attain it. We can only attain where we've come from. If we've come from the fifth supreme Lord from such kind, then that's where we will go. In order to attain the holy truth, the fifth supreme Lord itself has to merge with the sixth the sixth has to merge with the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, the original universe, and then the holy truth. So this constant merging process works its way up to the origin. But that chapter has not yet been written, so don't worry about that. Mm -hmm. So the concept of the holy truth is just merely for information purposes only, so that um, you can understand the whole, whole hierarchy of creation. And for this reason, it wasn't mentioned in the earlier um, scriptures of the holy teachings because people cannot attain it and they would only ask more questions than they can understand but now that we have a lot more information available to us um, intelligence in human beings is increasing with every generation so therefore these things now can be mentioned and people can put them in the perspective proper compartment and understand the limitations uh, of their ability to attain certain things and so certain things remain only as information only Thank you. When we sit for meditation, can we sit by putting hymns on or meditation background music on as it soothes me? Can I still get a connection? Not really, because the idea of meditation is to withdraw the attention from the external and place it internally. So if you're having music playing in the background, talking or other things, this might be soothing for the mind, but it does nothing to help you withdraw the attention to your inner core, to your inner self. So these things are best done before you start the meditation to prepare the atmosphere. There's no harm there. To prepare an atmosphere around you by playing music or shepherds or things like that, getting you into the mood, even reading a passage from a holy book and so on, that gets you into that mode. Then you sit quietly in meditation and withdraw the attention. So they're separate activities not done together. Okay. Do we need to meditate in a group to get more benefits spiritually? Well, it's not a need, but uh, certainly if you're to meditate um, with somebody who is highly ele ele elevated or advanced, definitely they can create an atmosphere that can pull you and that can help you. But if you, you, you yourself are elevated, and you're sitting among a group of people who are totally unelevated, they can drag you down. So it's a plus or a minus. Each one must judge for themselves what they're getting out of the deal. But ultimately, we all say, meditate on your own is best. It's less complicated that way for everybody. But if, for example, a group of equally aware individuals get together to meditate together, then it definitely creates an atmosphere in which the energy of that atmosphere can help one focus better and, and get more 
benefit from the practice, even even if it stops them from getting up too early because everybody else is sitting, so and so on. <laughs> so from a practical point of view. Thank you. How can we tell we have meditated effectively? How should we feel? Well, if one has attained a certain state of awareness, it definitely reflects in how one feels. Immediately, if one feels like the saints, there's a saintly quality that we're trying to attain. And meditation is trying to mold us into being like the saints whom we admire and, and worship even. They, they represent ideals of what we're trying to attain. But we can get an inner sense of contentment and peace, even though our worldly circumstances may be the same. They have not changed, but still we are feeling an inner contentment and we don't even understand why. So when we meditate, the logic of the mind doesn't come into the play. And that's why if you ask a, a really good meditator, why are you so calm and peaceful? They can't really answer that because logically they can't put their finger on it because it's beyond the logic of the mind. The soul operates on a totally different frequency and level of the mind. And it works on something called intuition. And this intuition manifests the feeling you have within you. So meditation leads to that point. When you meditate whilst at work, is that equivalent to formally sitting in meditation? You, you can't meditate while you're at work, but you can certainly contemplate. Contemplation and meditation are two separate things. Contemplation is a thinking or becoming aware of the beloved, the object of your meditation practice, let's say, the spiritual goal. And uh, remembering this, keeping this through something called memory, remembrance and thought and so on, is a contemplation. And that can certainly be done at work in preparation for the meditation to come when you come out of the work and you're sitting on your own. Because meditation means withdrawing the attention from the physical into the spiritual. We can't do that while we're working. Otherwise, we lose awareness of ourselves. But we can certainly practice something called contemplation at work. And contemplation is something very different because contemplation then can lead to that meditation. How do I stop negative involuntary thoughts when I meditate, especially about people that I love as I do my master? Well, this is why um, we're given the Simran, the five holy names, because they have an ability to stop the mind from chattering and to stop the mind from overly thinking too much by occupying it with something else. If you give the mind something to occupy it with, which doesn't conjure up any imagery in a mind other than that of the path that you're following, then that's why this simon is a very valuable help in these situations. It really does help until again it becomes a habit. You, you stop thinking when you enter into meditation mode because you've trained your, the mind to behave in a certain way. The mind is like that. It's like training a puppy. You keep on doing it and eventually it becomes like that. So there are many training aids that are used, uh, that masters use. One of the most powerful is this Simran of the Five Holy Names. Thank you. What if family commitments do not allow one to formally sit in meditation? Should you feel guilty? Well, I think we should never feel guilty about anything because guilt is a negative uh, emotion that drags us down. 
and it gives us a sense of hopelessness. No, one should instead look at it another way. If circumstances is such that they cannot sit formally in meditation, at least they can do the contemplation. And with the contemplation part, that can be done without anybody knowing it because it doesn't require a particular position or, or sitting in a certain way or isolating. You could be having a conversation with somebody and still thinking of the Lord in the back of your mind, still thanking the Lord, being grateful for what you've been given, the opportunities you have, still talking to the Lord saying, please help me this, please help me that. By involving the beloved, by involving the Lord in your day-to-day -day life, you could say this is akin to meditation in a sense, that it's bringing you to that state. But eventually, nothing remains the same. All things change in life. And there will eventually come an opportunity, particularly if you're serious about spiritual practice, that the Lord will allow you to have an opportunity to sit. So don't worry about that. Have faith in the Master and mm. do your contemplation. Is it a good idea to mention maybe meditating for just maybe five minutes just before one goes to yes, sleep? Yes. I mean, I'm assuming here they said they cannot at all sit because mm. maybe the spouse or the family member against it. But yes, if you can sit anything, five minutes is good. Any amount of meditation helps you to practice disconnecting from the physical world and connecting to your inner self. That's what the meditation is all about. It's not about seeing anything or even hearing so much, but it is about withdrawing the attention and connecting to your true self. And then that will come out in a blaze of glory all by itself. So even five minutes practice is good enough. And let it build up. You know, you can sneak and sneak moments here or there. But if you break it up in too many little short moments, then it's not possible to achieve a higher state in meditation. You do need to have a, a fairly good run at it in a continuous way. Thank you. Is it already predetermined how much we will meditate and how effective it will be? Yes, everything's predetermined. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord is the creator of this creation. He has created a blueprint and has designed everything. So therefore, he knows exactly how long this creation is going to be, all the component parts of it, how it's going to function. And he watches this like a show and enjoys the show. The play is being played very beautifully from the perspective of the Lord. So the answer is yes. However, within this um, God's will, there is this element of choice that we have been gifted. And remember, we are part of the creation itself. We are part of the Lord itself. Therefore, there is an essence within us that allows us to act again within the script. But in our script, it says that we are going to take an action and take a credit for it. So we're going to do the spiritual practice and that we're going to derive benefit from it. That is already written, but we get the credit for it. So why not play along with it? Why not play the part as it comes? We cannot act against the Lord's will, nor can we act against our own script. So... If one is looking by this question to say, let's sit and do nothing, then what's the point? Try it, even for five minutes. You won't last five minutes without trying to do something because certainly the karmas will pull you this way and that way. Somebody will come, phone will ring, belly will rumble. <laughs> Believe me, you'll react. Yeah. If you try not to do yeah. anything, you'll never succeed. True. That's one thing I can guarantee is impossible. You can attain the Lord in this lifetime, but you cannot do nothing in this lifetime. It's not possible. Thank you. Is it okay to ever try and ask what progress we have made or what level we have obtained? Or if we know too much, can this give you spiritual ego? Well, you can certainly ask. 
whether you get the answer or not is another matter. <laughs> um, the best way is just to go with the flow and just to use your own inner judgment. If you're improving as a human being, becoming a more saintly, a better, noble human being, then this is a much better sign of progress than all the other visual imagery or any other things that can come your way. Because anything you see within is still a, a manufactured um, response. It's not actually, it's not making any difference to you. It's just something that you're projecting outside to keep you company. It doesn't mean that you're making any progress. It's just that mm. because we operate with the senses here, we rely on our senses, we think that the same rule applies within. It doesn't. It's a very different rule within as there is here on Earth. So certainly, um, and yes, yeah, sometimes if you're giving too much information too early, you do have spiritual ego. And that's a dangerous thing. So masters sometimes don't allow you to see. You're making good progress and it's only at the end that they give you everything. Mm. When one has true awareness inside from spiritual realms, does an initiate become emotional when discussing the holy truth with others? No, the exact opposite. Once emotion is born of lower mind, if you're saying that somebody has attained a higher state of realization, then they've gone beyond the level of emotion of the mind. So they're able to speak from a very practical point of view. And they have a certain amount of joy, yes. Rather than emotion, it's a joy that they can speak of, but mostly they understand the audience they're speaking to. So they just deliver it from a practical point of view. But in their own time, when they are immersed in it, certainly it's an enjoyable experience for them and they can dance in ecstasy. Thank you for those answers. Right, we've got a few now about Shabbat and sounds. What is the real form of Shabbat? How do we know if we have come into connection with the Shabbat inside? What are the indicators? Okay, sounds like a very scientific question. <laughs> indicators. Must be, a, must be a scientist asking this question, maybe. Anyway, okay. Um, the Shabbat is a sound current emanating from the Lord itself. It is the creative power of the Lord. So as the creative power, the Shabbat is responsible for creating everything that we see around us. Therefore, because everything is created from the Shabbat, everything has Shabbat in it. In fact, nothing exists uh, without Shabbat. It's not just us. It's just that because we are a living part of life form of that Shabbat, we are able to connect and focus upon it, whereas the inert objects of the creation can do nothing with it. They're just subject to it. So the true form of the Shabbat is the Lord manifested in creative form um, as a sound when we hear it. So we say it is a sound. Coming into connection with it, the masters have prescribed a method of withdrawing the attention from the physical body, you know, as from non-reality to higher reality. So, and the, the Shabbat being the creative force behind everything, in order to tune into it, we must tune in to our own source. So by tuning to our own source, the Shabbat comes from the soul. So actually our own soul generates the Shabbat that we listen to initially. And later on, then when we connect to the soul, um, the Shabbat from the Satpurush, then that's a different sound. So each of the souls, um, each of, sorry, each of, the, uh, each of the levels produce a different sound that we can hear. Uh, we call this Shabbat. So the Shabbat itself has many layers and levels to it. 
Do you know how many? How many levels? Yes, there are five levels okay. of Shabbat. Is Bhakti Yoga similar to Shirat Shabbat Yoga? Bhakti Yoga means devotional yoga. Surat Shabbat Yoga is a way of explaining how we connect to um, our true self. So how does a soul connect to the Shabbat within us? The sound current that emanates from the Lord. Whereas Bhakti Yoga describes the type of yoga in which Surat Shabbat Yoga is practiced. So you could say it's Bhakti Yoga with Surat Shabbat methodology. That would be the better description. Okay. With sound meditation, what happens when someone's body feels irritated and restless when doing sound and therefore difficult to concentrate on sound and not sure if it's the real sound or bodily functions? Well, if you are trying to focus on the sound and you're feeling uncomfortable or irritable, then stop doing it. Resume the Simran. Repetition of the five holy names that was given to you at the time of meditation, at the time of initiation and keep the attention focused at the eye center as much as possible until you feel calm again. Once you feel calm again, then you resume the what they call the bhajan in sandmat or listening to the sound current within um, for as long as you can. And again, if you feel after a while that you're feeling uncomfortable, then go back to simran. You can switch between the two, there's no problem. I know you've talked about this already, but it's just about going a bit deeper, I guess. Is the sound an actual sound I would hear on the inside or an actual feeling or knowing of a sound or vibrational frequency of Master's love on the inside? I know you, you said see, it comes from the soul. You see, the in the beginning, when you're in the mind realm, you definitely hear it as an audible sound um, because the operation of the mind is such that it, it's that vibration generates something that it identifies with as a sound. However, when when you're, you're reaching the soul level, the Shabbat takes on a very different uh, expression. Actually, it is a feeling. And the feeling is also carries a vibrational energy which you sense. So it's not a hearing as such. It's a connection with this vibrational energy which resonates with you. And by resonating with you, it's awakening and empowering you. Now you can call this a sound, you can call it a resonance, an energy, you can call it many things, um, but because such words as resonating and, and, and energy, vibrational energy, were too complex descriptions in the past, so some saints just simply describe it as a sound or a dun, a, a divine sound, divine melody. You know, you can call it any name, but certainly from the high perspective, from Parbrahm onwards, it is a vibrational energy which you feel and sense via the soul rather than an actual hearing of a sound. But this vibrational energy can be translated by the mind as a sound. So when the mind wants to translate this, something it has no ability to comprehend, it likens it to the way it affects the mind. And because it's like a melody for the soul, so the mind assigns it a melodious tune. So. You mentioned there are five sounds, yeah? Mm. Have they got different names? Yes, they, they resemble, they again, um, you know, masters have tried to explain to the nearest thing that you have um, a description 
of a sound that we identify here on Earth. So, for example, in the fifth realm, masters have said that the sound there or the feeling it gives you is the same vibrational resonance of a bagpipe, like bagpipe playing, playing um, and very hauntingly. But it doesn't literally mean that bagpipes are playing there. This is just an expression to say that the feeling it gives us gives the same haunting effect that a bagpipe gives us. Right. And then below that, we have other sounds like the vena, the, the, the harp and the violin and so on. And they, they try to describe these sounds in, in a way that it gives us, it comes up the feeling of the mind. Mm-hmm. It has that kind of effect on the soul. So that's how these descriptive sounds are. However, in the mind realms, from the second realm to the astral realm and so on, then yes, these sounds are identifiable as actual sounds. So, for example, the thunder and drum of the uh, first level is very clear. It is You actually hear it with the mm-hmm. sensory body as such. And the bell sound of the second, the big bell, there's twinkly bells and big bells, the big bell, the pulling bell, of the thoughts, of where thoughts are generated, it is almost like an ongoing bell, which doesn't strike. It's just a peal of the bell that's continuously going round and round without it having a beginning and end. Again, such a bell doesn't exist in the world. Mm. But because it sounds like the peal of the bell itself, so Master said it's a big bell sound. They call it a big bell sound. But when you listen to it, it doesn't have a beginning and an end like a bell when a bell is struck. So that's why some masters call it an unstruck melody Mm. because there's no strike involved. You don't hear the strike part. It's just continuous. It's just a peel part of it. Mm. Imagine once it's been struck and you hear the resonance of the bell Mm. ongoing, that's what you hear. So we call this the bell sound. And that's where churches and uh, mosques and all these other places, temples, they all have bells in them. Because the, that's the top of the mind. That's the mm. highest mind sound that the mind can comprehend. So therefore, this sound is imitated here in the physical churches and everything as a reminder. So initially, when you're meditating, should you be listening out for the sound from a certain part, like, I don't know, your middle ear, your forehead, your head, or anything? Well, no, there's the, as, as instructed at time of meditation, the relevant sound, the sound that you are interested in, the one that has the pulling power, always comes from the center and above. Right, okay. So above center. Sometimes some masters in the past have described um, sounds from the right, sounds from the left, mm. saying that, you know, if you listen to the sounds from the right, that takes you up and sounds from the left. This is not actually correct in that sense, but there's currents that flow within us. And the current coming from the left is a downward flowing current. So if we were to um, connect to any left sound or left current, it will drag us down. Mm -hmm. And if we listen to the right one, it drags us up. But the sound from the right doesn't go all the way. It goes round in a circle. It eventually goes across the top and down again. It's a loop. So neither one is preferable. But if you only if you can only hear a sound from either if you've got a choice between a sound from the left and the right, mm-hmm. then they all say choose the one from the right until sure. the sound from the center becomes powerful. That's where this idea of right and left sound business comes in. It's not actual fact. Any enlightened person, any master, anybody who's actually experienced the sound 
will know that the true sound, the sound that has the pull and the power to drag you out of this creation and give you wisdom comes from the center and above, from the above center, not even the center in front, from higher up. It's mm. forcing you to look upwards, you could say. Yes. It's a sound that pulls you upwards. It's very difficult mm. to explain, but when you experience it, definitely you feel the pull. That sound is pulling you up, which neither the left or the right sound can do. Thank you. So it doesn't matter which master initiated you, the sounds are the same. Oh, yes. Yeah. It, <laughs> the inner workings of creation are exactly the same. Mm. It doesn't matter what physical expression the master um, carries. They could be this color, that size, this race. What does it matter? The truth <laughs> is the truth. The physical form of the master comes and goes. The truth doesn't come and go. The truth has always been there and it will always remain. It doesn't matter how many masters come and go and talk about it. Thank you. Is it okay to talk about how to do sound meditation with others who have been initiated by other masters? Well, generally speaking, because there are various methodologies applied to this, various ideas, all with the idea of trying to connect you within, Sometimes it creates confusion when you speak to somebody else who has a slightly different uh, viewpoint on how to listen to the sound, how to connect and how to meditate. So I would say that this is a personal practice. It's the idea of you connecting with your beloved. Why talk to other people about it? Why not just do it? Yeah, you don't have to talk. You can certainly listen if somebody's talking or whatever, but generally I would say not speak too much about it. This is a very personal practice. Mm. You can talk general philosophy, you can talk many things, but when it comes to your personal practice, don't discuss this with anyone. Mm. I think I'm just guessing here that people may want to talk about it because they might have been doing it for a while and maybe not feeling that they're If they're having a problem, they should just either speak to the master directly. Mm -hmm. If they cannot, then to one of master's representatives or somebody who's clearly enlightened. But to speak to just friends and colleagues um, about it is not really the right approach and sure. it's not really going to be helpful to them. It might just create more confusion. Mm, so if you true. really want to speak to it, seek somebody who's enlightened, who actually has knowledge of this and they can explain to you correctly. Okay. Should I be hearing the sound all the time, even when I'm not meditating, once I do hear it, if that makes sense? like you've... It doesn't happen like that in the beginning, but it mm. does happen like that after a while. Um, with practice, because your attention now, you see, again, by withdrawing the attention constantly with a lot of practice over a period of time, your attention remains mostly high. You only need 30% of your attention ability to function here on this planet, actually. So 70% of your attention could be higher up. Mm. And um, in that point of view, when your attention is mostly up than down, then you definitely hear the sound. The sound resonates continuously in the back of you and it gives you great comfort it's the comforter it means you can rest so for example when you close your eyes for a moment or you just want to little bit withdraw from the hustle and bustle of the world you just listen to the melodious sound of your soul and it's very comfortable it's like listening to an orchestra if you for people who love music outside a beautiful piece being played by an orchestra and how haunting and comforting it is so this sound becomes the comforter but it only it's only um, exist within you constantly when you've withdrawn sufficiently up so that your attention is more higher up than it is here in the physical world. So is it quite melodic 
Yes,、mm. it's very melodic. It can be very loud. If you if you move towards the sound, it becomes very loud and it dominates you. In fact, it's so loud that it even blocks out your ability to think. Wow! You cannot even think in its presence. It's so loud. It's so, but it's pleasantly loud. It's not harsh、sure. or screeching. It's it's a it's like a fulfilling loud. It fills every space inside you. It's a sound that fills every space, and because it fills every space inside you, you can say it's loud because it becomes the most dominant thing that doesn't even allow you to think. So you just totally absorb in the sound. That's why when somebody is、uh, meditating and is in samadhi, in absorbed in this sound, they're totally lost. They're totally unaware of what's happening around them. It takes away totally your awareness. It's very difficult to explain a, a sound, something that can fill your inner space so much that you don't even think of yourself. Yeah, I can imagine why it is difficult to explain. Yeah, yeah, it sounds very far removed from. It's not something that we experience、yeah. here in the physical world. This is it. Yeah. Okay. Next question: Are there books that detail what sound I should hear at each level? And how do I know if I'm doing it correctly? Often I'm so tired from work I can't even hold my arms and elbows up. Well, if this is a question from an initiate, they should already know how to practice. They don't need the books to tell them. The books just give you guidelines. They don't give you the actual description. As far as I know, there's no book that gives you a detailed explanation of how to actually meditate correctly for each individual. This one you must seek from your own master who initiated you. If you have any doubts, at the time of initiation, you would have been shown all the relevant techniques, and and so on, and the pluses and minuses of various activities、um, that aid or depreciate meditation. So you should rely on that alone and not keep trying to find books by maybe scholars and something that explain that they had some sort of experience using this method or that method. This has only confused them. The method that's been given to you by the master is the ideal method and the best method to attain the, your objective, the goal of self-realization and God-realization. So, so you should only follow that. You certainly can read books about other opinions, points of view, because there's many levels of attainment. You can attain the individual chakras, for example, which are they have their own resonance or sounds associated with them and various things. But that's not going to be helpful to you. If you're a, a seeker of the highest truth, thank you. Okay, that ends the sound questions. There's a couple of light ones here. Okay. What does it mean by the radiant form of the master? And what if I don't see the radiant form before master leaves this physical world? The radiant form of the master is the astral form of the master. So when we go to the next level、um, of spiritual of spiritual consciousness. We enter a realm of sense of the senses, sense perceptions, and in these sense perceptions, our eyes, our ears, our touch, everything is heightened, greatly heightened. So, when we see、uh, the representation, the spiritual form of our master within, as everything else there emits a light, so does the master emit a light. So they're trying to distinguish the、uh, the spiritual form of the master. From the physical form, now the spiritual form of the master is not constrained like the physical form is. It has a lot more power and a lot more ability to address the issues that you have. So that form of the master glows 
just like you do. It's not that the radiant form, like some people think that there's some sort of beams of light shooting out from the rays of the sun, you know, mm-hmm. that are blinding and so on. No, it is not like that at all. It simply means that the representation of the master existing there, just as you are, mm-hmm. you glow as well. You're radiant too when you reach that stage. So you communicate with the radiant form of the master who's in this form like you. Just like you communicate here with the physical master via this physical body. What's the difference between master's physical body and yours? There isn't any. So if we say that, oh, you meet the physical form of the master here, it doesn't mean that there's something special about it. It just means that it's at the same level of frequency as you are. So the radiant form of the master within is exactly that. There's nothing magical about it other than the fact that it is your master there. And just as seeing your physical master here gives you joy, so does uh, seeing the radiant form within. Now, I'm not sure what was the other part of that question. What if you don't see the radiant form before the master leaves the physical world? Does it mean anything? Well, it doesn't mean anything whether the master lives, stays on or not. It, the, 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 the radiant form of the master is not related to the physical form. The physical form is a manifestation of the radiant form in the physical world. So long after the, um, the physical form has departed, the radiant form is still there. So don't worry, it doesn't disappear when the physical form disappears. Mm. I guess, I, th- I think they wanted to, have, they feel they need to have seen the radiant form before the master actually No, leaves. it's not necessary at all. Mm. Most people don't. Sure. No, it's not necessary. Is it okay to do more sound than light, rather than more light than sound meditation? Yes. The sound meditation is the one that pulls you, because the sound is the creative current. The light is merely, you could say, Uh, um, you could say it's just a reflection of that sound manifested as something that you can enjoy. So the light is just giving you an example of where you are. It gives you ideas of, of, um, it's like a measurement device to tell you how well you're doing because the light reflects the level you've reached. However, it's the sound that's actually the one that's rescuing you. It's the sound that's pulling you. So if you did no light meditation and only sound meditation, you'd go to Satchkan quicker. Mm. So the sound is the one that is the creative power of the Lord. But the sound manifests in the form of light to allow you to have some sort of sensory experience of this, some sort of enjoyment of it uh, while you're actually being pulled. So that's why the visual part is there. But the visual part definitely um, does not play as significant a role other than being a comforter of the fact that it's occupying the visual part of the mm-hmm. mind to keep you occupied for a bit that you've attained something but it's the sound that's doing the work thank you so i've got about seven more questions and these relate to what masters have said oh, okay so the first one is master sometimes talks about practice sounds what are they well You see, we are always having some sort of sound within our body. Mostly the sounds that we understand from the early stages are physical sounds. So we can hear physical noises. Even if we completely shut ourselves off, say from all sensory places, let's say we go into a flotation tank, for those who might know about that, where sensory deprivation exists. 
you still have your inner sounds of the body, physical sounds you can hear. In fact, it's impossible not to hear anything. Mm. There'll always be some kind of sound. So what masters say is that you can focus on these physical sounds initially, initially as a means to practice focusing. Because remember, it's a habit we're trying to create. All practice is about learning a habit until it becomes second nature. That's what practice means. So any form of practice that withdraws the attention from outside to inside is good. Anything. Thank you. Next one. Babaji said meditation is the means to reach complete submission. Can you elaborate upon this? Yes, because the ideal, the objective, is to submit ourselves to the complete truth and become one with that truth. But because we have the object of the mind that's in the way, we identify ourselves with our mind. So it's not so easy to just give up like that, to give up our identity and surrender ourselves to a being who we see physically only. So there's a process from which we can transform that physical being into a spiritual being, which is the objective of our practice. Now, that method is called meditation. Meditation by force forces us to withdraw our attention to our higher state of being. And because the master exists also in that higher state of being, we spoke about the radiant form, when we withdraw our attention and we see the radiant form of the master, we can immediately submit ourselves. Because just by seeing the radiant form of the master doesn't do much for us other than answering questions. It's still within mind and maya. The radiant form is only the astral form. However, if from that we get convinced that the master is who he says he is, that he is a mystical being from a higher region, come here on earth to rescue us, and we have evidence of this by seeing him in the radiant form, then we're able to completely submit ourselves to the Master, completely surrender to his will. So this is what Babaji means, that for those who are unable to, because they're not good at practicing contemplation, are able to recognize who the Master really is, meditation is a very useful tool to allow you to gain access to who the Master really is within, so that then you can submit wholeheartedly. So that's why the Master says, meditate your way to submission. Thank you. Ishwarji once said that Simran, or whatever Satguru gives to his initiates to recite, is it true that in different areas they have different words for Simran? I'm not sure what you mean by different areas. Um, the holy words given by a Master, whatever they may be, are powerful because they're gifted by one who is connected with the divine. So it doesn't matter what words they give you. If they come from a perfect living master, they will be equally effective. Thank you. Kabir said, when devotion to the guru is not utterly sincere, then your birth is worthless. The shape in the midst appeared to be something, but quickly dissipated into nothing. Um, the, the question, I guess, is for me to comment about that statement? Yeah, I guess so. Um, yes, you've you got to understand that um, at the time that Kabir lived, people were very emotional. There was quite a lot of turmoil in India um, at that time. And um, 
masters had to use very dramatic expressions in order to give an idea to those people of what they should be doing. So if you're going to translate it strictly in the sense of a literal word-for-word translation, then it's not correct. But if you are looking at it from a spiritual message point of view, emphasizing what you should be doing, then it's absolutely correct. And um, it's not to say that your birth is worthless if you're not utterly sincere, because then most people who are practitioners on the on the path are not going to be utterly sincere. We spoke earlier that only 3% of the 10% selected for initiation actually become sincere enough to attain their goal. What about all the others? What about the 97%? Are, are you saying that they are, they are futile in their, in their um, practice? No, it's not correct. But if you are saying from a worldly point of view, let's say, that um, if they're not practicing sincerely and they're kidding themselves, they're just going along with it, like becoming members of a club and have no intention of really devoting themselves, then yes, that practice is worthless. Thank you. What is the correct practice of Diyan, of the radiant form of the Satguru? What is the correct practice of Dion? Yeah. Well, Dion is visualizing the form of the master within. So this is done through something called memory. Fortunately, as human beings, we can remember things more than a goldfish. A goldfish, they say, has 30 seconds of memory. We have a little longer than that. And if we exercise our memory of seeing the physical form of the master here in the, in the world that we're living in, and we can then picture that in our mind's eye, then this is a great help for focusing because it gives us another opportunity to focus on rather than just, say, doing the five names. So the five names are very useful to occupy the mind whilst we look at the eye center. But for some people, it is very difficult for them to focus in the darkness and wait for something to come. So if they instead place an imagery of their master there, whom they have physically seen, not a picture, because a picture has no power, it's dead, it's lifeless, but a living master that they have seen, if they carry, put that picture there, then that living master carries a power to keep their attention there, whereas a picture cannot give, keep your attention within. But a living uh, sight of the master that you can recall and remember has the power to keep your attention there. So yes, Dhyan is a very useful tool um, for those who can do it, um, to keep your attention at the eye centre. Can you explain why he emphasised that devotion is very important for our practice? Of course, because if you do anything without sincerity, you achieve nothing. There's not any practice in this world or any um, activity that if you do not put your heart into it, you achieve the results you seek. For example, if an Olympic swimmer doesn't put their heart into their practice, how will they become a gold medalist? So devotion is a natural result of a sincere practice, of a sincere seeking, because devotion to the one who's giving us that knowledge is natural, just like um, when somebody helps us and they help us and we're so grateful, we naturally feel a connection with them, a devotion to them, a helpful to them. And if they ask for help in return, we eagerly give it. 
we build that connection. So devotion means connecting with the giver. So this is a natural result of um, gratitude and spiritual practice and it's certainly, it's not something you can create. It's a natural result of your spiritual practice. It's not that you practice devotion. Devotion comes naturally when love is there, when that connection is there with the object of your practice. Thank you. Okay, this is the last question now. How do you stop sexual stuff in dream state? As my master, who is Supreme Master Ching Hai, says I will dilute my power, my master blessings, each time this happens for five weeks. Well, because the um, all the five um, sins or vices are designed to keep us trapped in lower mind state. So masters variously explain that if we um, if we kind of um, adopt these five sins and we run along with them and let them um, run riot within us, then we cannot go past them. So they hold us back. And if we have an experience of them or we indulge in them, then certainly, yes, they can hold us back for a time. So Supreme Master is explaining that um, if you have, in this case, a lust, um, it could be anger, it could be greed, but lust that it takes about five year, five sorry, five weeks to clear. That's roughly around right. You know, a 28 day cycle would be more, but yes, for some people, because they have an aftercurrent effect, it can last up to five weeks. Thank you. Those are all the questions. Okay.